I don't think people truly understand just how difficult life is going to be. So, for example, um, um, if, if people now go away, um, fly off on their summer holidays um, without thinking about it too much, in the net zero world, or in, in reality the absolute zero world, that is really going to be something that is reserved for the, for the very wealthy. Coming up on British Thought Leaders, I sit down with Andrew Montford, author and director of Net Zero Watch. Andrew talks about the impact on our lives of the complete transformation of society needed to meet government carbon emission targets. So when the wind isn't blowing, your electricity prices are going to go through the roof. Um, and it may well be that, you, that the grid will essentially start cutting off your appliances so that um, you, know, you can't charge your... If you do, are lucky enough to have an electric car, you won't be able to charge it. Um, it may become necessary to switch off your heating because a heat pump also in cold weather will draw a lot of power. The grid can't take it. Um, so you know, we are going to have to get used to not having things. He discusses the pressure on politicians from powerful green lobbyists. I don't know whether they're driven by uh, virtue signalling or sort of showing that they're part of this, this uh, uh, green movement or, or, or whether it's fear of being demonised if they stand up against it. Again, you know, there is a lot of... If a politician does stand up, they, they, they've got to expect some flack on this issue because the, the pressure to conform on global warming and net zero is absolutely intense. I'm Lee Hall. This is British Thought Leaders. Andrew Monfort, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you very much for having me. The push to net zero is one of the big issues of our time. Could you give us some background on what net zero is and what the government's doing to achieve these targets? So net zero is the idea that um, we can completely decarbonize the economy. So we're not going to give off any more emissions of, of carbon dioxide. That essentially means getting rid of all fossil fuel use. It's net zero because um, uh, there is a recognition that there are always going to be some residual emissions that we can't get rid of. And so the idea there is that um, we will then use things like carbon capture or, um, or direct air capture, taking carbon dioxide out of the air and storing it underground, and that will enable us to achieve net zero. There is a little bit of a problem with that because um, the technologies to do that don't actually exist at the moment. So in fact, net zero will mean absolute zero. If we want to, if we want to get where people say we have to be, we have to eliminate all carbon dioxide emissions, which means all fossil fuels. So. What the government is trying to do to achieve that um, is essentially the, the main thrust um, of policy is to electrify everything. The idea is that if we, um, if we replace all our fossil fuels with um, um, renewables, then we have a carbon dioxide free electricity system. And then if we get all the things we use in the economy, working off electricity rather than fossil, fossil fuels, then um, um, the economy will be decarbonized. So that means things like uh, moving from petrol and diesel cars to um, um, electric cars. It, it's moving from gas boilers to um, um, electric heat pumps, that sort of thing. 
um, and all sorts of other things too. But I mean, th th those are the main ones that, that um, affect people in, in the street at the moment. The thing people don't tend to realize is that um, most of the energy we use is, is, is not currently electricity. A, a huge amount of the energy we use is fossil fuels. So it's things like transport, it's things like heating. Um, and a lot of these things are quite difficult to, to electrify. So if you were trying to get a lorry onto electricity, it's almost impossible because you need such a big battery um, that, it, that it becomes impossible. And of course, the thing is, you know, once you have a lorry, you want it running all the time, not, not, not sitting on the sidelines waiting, waiting to recharge for, you know, overnight. I mean, it's just, it's just very inefficient use of capital. So, yeah, lots of things going on. Um, essentially, it's a complete transformation of society is, is what will be necessary to make this happen. It seems the UK wants to be a, a leader in, in net zero. A lot of our targets are earlier than other nations. Why is that? I'm not really sure. To, I think some of it has started because the, the, the global warming science um, that is behind net zero, a lot of that was funded in the UK and, and the UK has, has been taken on quite a leadership role in pushing the idea that, that we have a problem with the climate. I think that was probably the start of it. Um, and I think we had a series of politicians who, um, who were very keen on the idea. So um, um, you know, the Blair government, the Cameron government um, were all very keen on it. Theresa May's government was very keen on it. Um, I th and I think you quite early on, um, UK politicians decided that this should be something, this should be an issue on which there was cross-party consensus. Um, so I think one of the reasons that the UK has pushed on so quickly has been that there's been very little opposition to it over the years. Do you think the public understand quite how much their lives would change if we were to meet these targets? Um, no, I don't think they do. I think realisation is coming, but yeah, I don't think people truly understand just how difficult life is going to be. So, for example, um, um, if you, people now go away, um, fly off on their summer holidays um, without thinking about it too much, in the net zero world, or in, in reality, the absolute zero world, that is really going to be something that is reserved for the, for the very wealthy. Right. You know, you're not going to go away for your two, two weeks in the sun the way you do now. Um, Electric vehicles, again, there is, there is very little likelihood that, that car ownership could be sustained at the levels that we have now. So um, um, if you look at some of the, um, the modeling that the grid has done on, um, on car ownership, some of them are looking at really quite substantial levels, you know, perhaps at half the level that we see today. Um, and it, because it's not just that you know, people won't be able to afford cars, but the grid won't, um, isn't built to um, deliver that amount of power. Um, I think there are, there are other aspects that people don't recognize. So when the wind isn't blowing, your electricity prices are going to go through the roof. Um, and it may well be that, you, that the grid will essentially start cutting off your appliances so that um, you, know, you can't charge your, if you do, are lucky enough to have 
an electric car, you won't be able to charge it. Um, it may become necessary to switch off your heating because a heat pump also in cold weather will draw a lot of power. The grid can't take it. Um, so you know, we are going to have to get used to not having things. This is quite interesting. This was said as much as, oh, it's probably 15 years ago now, the head of National Grid said people are going to have to get used to not having electricity all the time. And I think that is just not understood amongst the general public, and they're going to get a shock, I think. Do you feel the media have, have reported on this the way that they should do? No, the media have been um, um, a huge disappointment. I think uh, the, the politicians, I've already said, uh, um, were, were completely united on this, and the media very quickly um, uh, moved from allowing debate on it to actually closing it down completely. Why they did that, I'm not sure. I mean, I think there are a number of reasons. Um, the, I think the, the advent of, the, um, of IPSO, the, the, press, uh, the Press Standards Organization, um, a lot of, uh, there were a lot of complaints um, issued to IPSO saying you're allowing these, these unscientific views on, on, on climate change. Um, and essentially, the, the process became the punishment. So um, um, the complaints would, would, would go in, and they would take six months for the journalist to respond. And eventually, journalists decided it was easier not to get into discussing global warming or, or net zero, um, um, because you, life was easier. So yeah, the, the press have been um, very disappointing. The, you know, the, it's starting to come back now, though. Um, certainly, that you know, we've seen in, in recent months that the Telegraph has started um, doing a lot of a lot of questioning of net zero, and, and the Mail as well. The Express has always done done quite a few articles. So, yeah, that is changing. We've had the advent of GB News as well. Um, they they and and Talk TV. They they've started and um, they've given uh, voice to skeptics on net zero and on climate change, which again. Um, has enabled the debate to go forward. I think, you know, nobody has all the answers, but um, if you allow debate to happen, then you will get much closer to the truth. Over the years, we've seen a lot of uh, policies and predictions about what will happen with the climate turn out to be wrong. Where have the policies for net zero come from, and are, are they reliable? Um, the policies for net zero um, have come from... Um, if you, in the main, environmental lobbyists, I would, I would say. Um, so if you actually go behind the environmental, the, the, the net zero policies, they are fundamentally irrational. Um, they are, um, they're not based on any sort of um, engineering analysis of, of, of the net zero um, um, uh, project. Um, so we end up with policies that are Essentially, they're almost like virtue signaling, if you like. So, you know, we've gone ahead and we've done stuff like uh, renewables um, without any idea what we're going to do when the wind isn't blowing. Um, now, people wave their hands and they say things like, oh, well, we'll get batteries or, or, or something like that. But nobody has actually developed a battery that can do that job, let alone that, that can do it at a cost that society can um, afford. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's politicians, I think, I don't know whether they're driven by uh, virtue signaling or sort of showing that they're part of this, this uh, uh, green movement, 
or, or, or whether it's fear of being demonized if they stand up against it. Again, you know, there is a lot of, if a politician does stand up, they, they, they've got to expect some flack on this issue because the, the pressure to conform on global warming and net zero is absolutely intense. And it is, it is really the brave minority of politicians who are willing to, to actually uh, question it at all. On the subject, we recently saw Lord Goldsmith resign. He said the Prime Minister's uninterested in green issues. Do you think the Tories have damaged their voter base to some degree with uh, their attitude to net zero? I think that, that's right. I think they have. I think their voter base uh, is, is uh, on the whole, very much against net zero and, 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 and um, is intelligent enough to see the flaws in the, in, in the project. Um, it was quite interesting this morning. There was a, um, a, a local election on which the, the Conservative candidate stood on an anti-environmentalist ticket mm. and um, turned around a Labour majority and turned it into a Conservative majority. Now, with, with the Conservative Party 22% per behind on, on, the, um, on the national polls at the moment, you know, there's a lesson there um, for Mr Sunak. Um, I, think, I think Mr Sunak probably... I don't know whether he is genuinely uh, uh, disinterested in the issue. I don't think he knows where he stands. His problem is his party is so divided. I, I don't think he could, he could deliver um, um, a strong uh, net zero policy even if he wanted to. So if he is genuinely disin disinterested, well, he's stuck and there's nothing he can do. So speaking of Mr. Sunak, he recently called Labour a Just Stop Oil splinter group. What are your expectations if we do get a Labour government with the net zero? So Labour certainly seem to be um, um, even even greener than the, the, the Green Conservatives. Um, certainly Ed Miliband is you know, quite extreme on this issue. Um, and you know, he, he says that he wants to vastly expand wind power and, and, and all sorts of things um, to deliver net zero. He does very much give the impression that he hasn't given any serious analysis to the problem you know again it is it is virtue signaling it is trying to send out messages that will that will appeal to, to certain groups of, of voters um, so I think if we do get a Labour government and it seems pretty likely at the moment I, I think um, things will get much harder for consumers in this country and there is the, there's, there's no doubt that the the costs of the cost of living will become um, much higher, you know, energy prices will go up, the price of everything else will go up, and we will start, to, you know, we're already starting to run into problems with the grid too, so yeah, I, it, it, it will be pretty unpleasant, I think. Putting this into a wider context, if Britain did meet its net zero targets, but say China and the US didn't, would this make a difference to the world? No, this is, this is um, a, an important point. The um, the UK is about 1% of global carbon dioxide emissions. So um, anything we do will make absolutely no difference. You know, the, 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 uh, every year, China's uh, emissions um, increase in emissions vastly outweighs our total emissions. So yeah, it will make absolutely no difference. We've been driven by this idea that the UK should be a leader on, on uh, climate policy, on, on decarbonisation, um, and there's absolutely no reason for it. When you know we are not in that top rank of countries anymore, we're not we're not super wealthy, we're not 
uh, emitting um, very much carbon dioxide anyway. We have reduced our emissions a lot um, already um, and have hurt ourselves in the process. So yeah, the idea, the idea that um, we, we are going to make a difference is, is it's for the birds really. Speaking of the birds, um, the UK has been a, a leader in a wind farm and, and wind power generation. I think we have about half the world's capacity for the offshore wind farms here. Is the wind farm, the wind energy plan working? The, the, the wind energy plan is, is, is certainly not working. Um, the idea that, the, the, that successive governments have had is that if we subsidise wind power for, a, for a, some years, the costs will come down, you know, a nascent industry will, will, will get off the ground and um, um, things, will, um, things will go swimmingly. In reality, um, the costs, certainly for the first 10 years of, of the project, went up. Um, in fact, for onshore wind, the costs are still going up. Um, offshore wind has started to come down a little bit, but not a great deal. So the cost, um, the, the costs are not good. And then the wind, uh, having all that wind on the grid um, also makes the, the, the everything else on the grid terribly inefficient. So that has pushed up prices for consumers. Um, in, the, in the 20 years from the beginning of the renewables project, if you like, to the eve of the Ukraine war, electricity prices for consumers doubled. Um, and uh, that was at a time that gas prices were flat. So renewables is just making everything terribly inefficient. Um, so yeah, the project has been a failure. And I mean, the, the evidence of that is, 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 is starting to be felt by, by consumers now. There's also talk of the, the actual hardware not lasting as long as expected. Yeah, we've, we've seen um, this last week, Siemens Energy, who are one of the big wind turbine uh, manufacturers, announced that they have um, um, problems with a lot of their onshore wind turbines. Um, that um, They're breaking down uh, more regularly than they should be, um, and that they're, they're, they're suffering major failures uh, more, frequently, more frequently than they should be. There is a, a, sen uh, a feeling, I think, that this problem is not limited to Siemens Energy. It's, it's actually um, industry-wide, um, and also that it's not restricted to just onshore wind turbines, because obviously it, things are much tougher for offshore wind turbines because they're out there in, in the salt water. Um, and what we've seen looking at the data is that um, the performance of wind turbines actually falls away quite quickly once they, once they get in the water. Um, and the problem is worse, interestingly, for big turbines than small turbines. So the industry has been saying for years that as we get bigger and bigger turbines, they're going to get cheaper and cheaper and more, you know, more and more efficient. And what we're seeing is that that is true for a few years. And then after a few years later, they're all starting to fall apart. And actually, the performance has been extremely disappointing. Now, for consumers, that just means the electricity is going to be more, more expensive than they were led to believe. So yeah, costs are, is a big problem for the, for the renewables industry. So what do you think are, are the answers that we should turn to? I talked before about, the, um, about renewables making the rest of the grid inefficient. Now, the conclusion from that is that we, we, renewables was a mistake. It was a catastrophic mistake, and we need to drop renewables. 
uh, you will never have, a, you can't run a, a properly functioning um, electricity grid with renewable energy, not unless you have a lot of um, hydropower to balance it with. That's the only way you're going to get it to work. Now, hydropower can't be expanded in the UK. Um, we just don't have enough valleys that we can flood. Um, so, yeah, we need to move away from renewables. Now, um, there are two things we can do. One is to expand nuclear power. Um, there's, there's been quite a lot of excitement recently about the Finns who have expanded uh, nuclear power in quite a big way and now have some of the cheapest electricity in Europe. Now that's that's should be good news for everybody because um, you know if if you're if you believe we need to decarbonize, then that should be that should be something that you can support. Of course, you know there is this issue that most environmentalists don't support um, um, nuclear power, but you know um, I think more and more of them are coming around to, to a realization that they are going to have to live with it. Um, the other thing is we are going to have to go back to gas because there, you, whatever you have on the grid, you need something that can respond to changes in supply and demand from everything else. And that essentially means, well, there's two ways you can do it apart from hydro. Um, one is gas and one is biomass. Um, and almost everybody agrees that, that uh, biomass, so chopping down trees in North America, shipping them across the Atlantic and burning them here is, is, a, is a really foolish idea. Um, so yeah, we are going to have to go back to gas. Now, we have a lot of gas in the UK, um, but unfortunately our politicians um, don't want us to use it. And again, you know, there's, there's been, we had the, um, the, the, the debacle of, of the attempt to get a, um, an onshore gas industry off the ground a few years back and lots of protesters um, making a lot of wild claims about what it was going to do to us. But in reality, if we want secure cheap energy, that's probably the way we're going to have to go. And eventually, I think people will, uh, once they feel the pain of renewables badly enough, people will come round to the view that we are just going to have to do that. We've got wind farms, a bit of a blot on the landscape, but also chopping up a lot of the birds. And there's recent talk of hundreds of miles of cables and pylons that are going to be rushed through the planning. Um, do you think we'll get to the point where people start to ironically stand up against the green agenda because they care about their environment. Yeah, it's quite interesting that um, a lot of um, um, uh, the, the Green Party, if you like, um, who support renewables in principle, they always tend to oppose it locally once the environmental impact of the, of the renewables is felt. So you know, if you're going to cover um, a huge number of fields in solar panels, they will object to that. Um, yeah, renewables do have um, a very uh, major environmental impact. I think the, the thing about the birds is a little bit overdone because all energy systems damage wildlife to some extent. And you know, people often point out that cats kill many more birds than, than, than um, uh, wind turbines are ever going to. Against that, I would say that um, there are um, they're killing different kinds of birds. So cats are killing common garden birds, whereas um, uh, because wind turbines, certainly onshore, are, um, tend to be on top of hilltops, you know, they're, they're, they tend to be killing things like raptors, you know, eagles and, and that, that kind of thing. Um, and also, the, you know, there is a, I think there is going to be increasingly a major issue with uh, offshore wind farms because they're all built on, on the migration paths of lots of different birds. And a lot of birds that, that, that fly at a, at a height 
when they will run into the wind turbines. So I think that is going to be um, an issue that um, will hit soon. I think the, the landscape issues are never going to go away. And again, I don't, as, as we uh, uh, move towards net zero, or in theory, we're going to move towards net zero, um, the, um, I don't, people don't understand just how much more wind power we're going to need and how much more solar power. That is going to absolutely devastate, devastate the landscape in terms of the views, the beauty of the landscape. And we, yes, we are going to have electricity cables and, 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 and electricity pylons and towers running right across the country. We're going to have huge areas of, of prime agricultural land uh, covered in solar panels. Um, and yeah, we're, we're looking at, do, at expanding onshore wind as well. I mean, certainly where I live in Scotland, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's pretty bad now and is potentially going to be quite a lot worse because they're now allowing much bigger turbines to be put, to be put on. So, you know, they will be seen for miles and miles and miles. You know, there's almost, you know, there's very few parts of, the, of, of Scotland now that are completely unaffected outside the, the you know, the national parks. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very sad because it, it, you know, it used to be a very beautiful country. One of the issues you touched on was the electric cars. Uh, the, the ban is set for 2030 of selling new petrol and diesel cars, and there's even talk of bringing forward the ban for the hybrid vehicles. How realistic are these targets? Um, completely unrealistic is, is the answer. Um, and again, I think you know, this is not being driven by, uh, the, the policy is not being driven by rational concerns, it's being driven by, by virtual, virtue signaling and, and sort of appealing to certain groups of voters. The grid can't deliver power on, 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 on the scale that, that people need. This is, uh, just to be clear, this is not the transmission grid, the backbone, if you like, of the electricity system. This is the distribution grid. So the, the wires and cables, in the in the in under the streets and and sort of on uh, overhead uh, pylons in 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 the in smaller towns and villages, um, those cables just can't take the amount of power th the, to deliver um, what what households need to charge electric vehicles. Um, so um, there will be we are already seeing problems um, with people apply to get a, a charger put in their home. And they're told by, by the local um, electricity company that no, they can't have that because there's already two people on their street who've got a, char a, a charger. And so, well, I'm sorry, it's, you'll have to wait until, until the, the street gets upgraded. Um, yeah, we did some work on this um, a few years ago. And the cost of upgrading um, the grid is hundreds of billions of pounds. Um, it essentially means digging up every urban street in the country. And you know, that isn't going to happen. So the idea that we're going to do that by 2030 is, is, is complete nonsense. Do you think people support this plan, the ordinary people, because they're going to be affected when they want to buy a car, for example? It's interesting. If you ask people whether they're concerned about climate change, they'll probably, the, the majority will say that they are. Um, perhaps unsurprisingly, they've had 20 years of, of, of being told it's, 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 it's a crisis. Um, if you ask them if they support net zero, yeah, they'll probably still support it. If you ask them um, um, whether they'd like to spend money on net zero rather than on the health service, they'll almost certainly say no. And if you ask them how much they want to spend on net zero, you know, how much are you willing to give um, a week? 10 pounds, 20 pounds? They'll say, no, thank you. That's far too much. So the support is, is 
it's virtue signaling support, it's paper thin. Um, um, the reality is people have other priorities. People will put the health service first. They'll, they'll, they'll put going on holiday first. Um, um, they, won't, they won't put decarbonisation first. Andrew Mumford, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you very much. Thank you.